welcome to the False Neutral, episode number 119 for December of 2021. All three of your hosts are here as always. I'm Pete, Garrett, and Eric are with me. Hi guys, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. How are you? Starting to pick up a little bit, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Might as well jump into our... Oh no, before we do workshop update, we have been talking about... uh, New bikes. Did you guys see the, I thought, kind of surprise announcement of the new uh, BSA Gold Star 650 single? Yeah, I saw that from, mm-hmm. uh, they did that at Eichma, and I That was a pretty, for a kind of a cruiser style bike, that was pretty attractive. And I'm not, I, I say that just because I'm not, it's not a style I'm usually drawn to. Yeah, I was really kind of surprised. I I knew Mahindra was working on a BSA. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I was really kind of surprised, first of all, that it looks as authentically retro as it does, and secondly, that it's a 650 single. I thought for sure they would build some kind of twin that would be like the... 650 single? Yeah. It's water cooled. Mm. It it's got fins on it, but it's got a big old pizza box radiator in the front, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, it looks totally out of place on what's supposed to be an, a replica of an old Gold Star that was air cooled. Mm-hmm. To me, it kind of reminds me of like a lot of the late sixties Grand Prix bikes and early seventies Grand Prix bikes where they didn't try to hide the radiator. Yeah, I think it looks more authentically old timey and retro i mean it almost looks like kind of like an old scott flying squirrel where they just hung a big radiator in the front and uh, i think if they had tried to do something clever to hide it between the frame rails or put it under the seat or the gas tank or something would have been much worse than what they did and it it's really kind of a neat bike i i really like it it's mahindra i don't know what the quality will be like or whether it's even going to come to the States. But, uh, I had to, I had to give them a big Bravo from me and they didn't put a Kickstarter on it, which I thought for sure, whatever they were going to create would have some big old backup Kickstarter on it just for looks and appearance. And they didn't. Is this sort of in the same line as a Royal Enfield 650? I I think it's direct competition to a Royal Enfield 650. Yeah. Uh, it's fuel injected, uh, dual channel ABS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's fly by wire. Don't, don't know what, you know, what, whether it's got rider modes or anything like that. But, uh, yeah. It's pretty darn cool. Yeah. Well, a single cylinder 650, that should be interesting. Very thumpy. Yes. Nope. I hadn't seen that. Anything else interesting at ICMA? I really didn't catch much of it. Half the people weren't there, so there was some stuff there, and then everything else was done off off site at other other events. So yeah. yeah, there wasn't a whole lot that was terribly exciting. Hearing things like from SEMA, and it seemed like um, a lot of people that would normally be there aren't there just because of how tricky it's been either to get there or just because of precautions. And so it seems that these big show events are missing a lot from what they would have had a couple of years ago. The, the, the thing is, and I find this from another industry is when you consider, especially if you're of any kind of size, it's going to cost you somewhere between three and $20 million to be at some of these shows. Yeah. By the time you get all your stuff there and all your people there and have to overpay mm-hmm. for all the hotels for the longer periods of time, and that given the state of where media is today, you can hold private events with a few journalists and a few, you know, influencers and get more exposure for mm-hmm. way less money. Uh, well, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I I know my, my employer has a huge booth every year at uh, Apex, which is part of the SEMA aftermarket mm-hmm. week in mm-hmm. Las Vegas and we did it this year they had probably about half the traffic they normally do fortunately yeah. the real movers and shakers who spend money were still there uh 
Apex is is more business like. It's more you know OE replacement parts and stuff like that. It's not the whiz bang star spangled hot rod and chromey stuff that you see at SEMA. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's the responsible older brother. But uh, I and one of our other employees were supposed to go to AIM Expo, which is uh, American International Motorcycle Expo. Mm-hmm. Next, I think it's in February, mm-hmm. and we're not going this year. Not not to exhibit. We were just going to go walk the show, try to try to network. And if you look at the exhibitor floor, first of all, they chopped about a third of it off and put up a curtain, so they reduced it. What's left is about a third full, <clears throat> and everything that's in there are like, you know, people that sell air pressure gauges and, you know, helmets and stuff and nothing going on as far as a manufacturer presence or exhibitors that are actually selling titleable vehicles. I think there was like a couple of Chinese manufacturers, a couple of scooter sellers, and like, I think, a American Landmaster side-by-sides was it. So mm. we kind of looked at what it was going to cost and the payoff and kind of went, yeah, we're staying home this year. So, mm-hmm. and also they're not having any public days. I think it's because there are no manufacturers there, but it's strictly a dealer show. I think it's inheriting what used to be the dealer news expo, which was just basically a chance for dealers to go look at what distributors had that they could stock in their, their dealership. Yeah. I don't know if that'll change in the future or not. These things, these things go in trends and waves and, you know, it'll get, it'll become virtual and whatever. And then everyone will like, well, how do we, let, let's get everyone back together. Yeah. As far as like, there's been some second and third generation, what do you call it? Mid-cycle refreshes. You know, mm-hmm. this one has new. Bold new graphics. Yeah, well, more, more than that, you know, this, this now has ride modes. This has uh six axis IMU, but it's not like new new bikes yeah by moda had some weird kawasaki based things that i should go without saying because it's Bomoda. it's always going to be weird <laughs> that's the that's the charm of them it, i mean the uh the h2 powered by is i mean the h2 is weird i yeah. don't think the yes. by is any weirder but like well, i don't know well by now has i think it's it's not the h2 motor it's the thousand ninja motor i think but it has the radiator under the seat, but it's a naked. Mm-hmm. So it's a naked with huge scoops on either side of the tank that funnel back between your legs under the seat. Should keep you nice and warm. <laughs> well, it's fresh air coming in. The radiator's behind you and under your butt. But it was aesthetically challenged. Mm-hmm. So, I think it was Benelli who tried that back in the early 2000s with their three-cylinder super bike can't swear to it but it didn't work out well see quite a few bimoto pictures on iconic sport bikes instagram page mm-hmm. and it reminded me that a few weeks ago they had a job advertisement for an auction rider and i was like really tempted to apply <laughs> to it <laughs> it's i think just a uh Commission, well, not commission. Yeah. They just pay you per um, per ad. You do, yeah. Per you ad, like but it seemed like twenty bucks per more, more effort yeah. than I would get paid for. And I don't really have yep. a ton of free time, anyways. But just to do it briefly, it seemed like it might be kind of fun. I chose not to. That was a smart move. Yeah, <laughs> I've done that grunt work before. It's it's literally grunt work. You're yeah. pounding out. As much as you can, because they're paying you about anywhere ten to twenty dollars per. So, well, yeah. I, I I've done piecework uh, for you know internet writing and stuff like that, but never as something that I considered a usable income. I mean, I didn't right. base my budget on it. But I have to say, for years, I wrote ad uh, press release copy for my employer, and. I can't tell you how much I never, ever want to start a sentence with so-and-so is proud to announce. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like after a yep. while, it, it's 
it just doesn't mean anything anymore. You can only do it so many times and it just, everything sounds like boilerplate in your head. And you're like, please Mm -hmm. make me not have to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For my day gig, we have a, uh, uh, a car dealer who decide they want to go like full blown up ape on the uh on the roof and floppy you know floppy oh, yeah. man in the front yard and just like every bad arm two man yeah every every bad cliche you can think of 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 sales wordage and i'm like no this is not how you do this this is not how you do this. i this is what i want to do so i'm writing this and it's just like it's like it's easy right i mean but it's uh, but i'm cringing every time i do it because i don't care it's so easy to write and just like let me how cringy can i get that's exactly what he wants so mm. hey so they're writing yeah, the check so, so. I'm trying to think well. So, so the, I think outside ICMA, there was, well, today, I think Triumph announced some 1200 Tigers. Uh, KTM refreshed the 1290 line a little bit. Triumph also did a new version of the 1200 Speed Triple, which is the RR, not the RS, right? I think. And Ducati refreshed their V2, V4 Panigales. So that's the other thing that was outside of ICMA, what I remember saying. So. Okay. Uh, workshop update. Garrett, what have you been up to? Well, I'm sorry. I just naturally assumed that we were going to go to Garrett on this, Eric. Um. <laughs> no, that's fine. Because it's, it's, well, it's, it's been like 10 to 20 degrees below normal temperatures here. So I'm not standing outside in the, uh, in, in my garage to do things. In fact, I waited to do the leaves as long as I could. Uh, and in fact, the day that I finished doing the leaves, so they put them out on the corner so they could come and and get them um it started snowing so i literally just got that done in time it was literally snowing as i was finishing the leaves so that's what it's been like around here so yeah since i've been doing work in my home garage i've actually it's been it's been wonderful i've been able to get a lot more done uh you know because when i put my kids to bed and they're young they're five and seven years old they go to bed at like 7 30 and after that i'm able to just go tinker and i don't have to get somewhere or be somewhere so i still i do a lot of the bigger work at my shop like welding fabrication stuff like that but i'm able to do a lot of assembly and disassembly in my own garage and it's made it wonderful so for everyone that has you know a home garage i'm sure that they know it's uh it's nice to be able to just get some stuff done but i did i finished the trail 70 so it's like done done completely done Cool. And I've just been putting tons of miles on it actually around my neighborhood. Just like if it's not raining and it's not dark, I'll put a few laps around the neighborhood. So it's pretty fun. It takes me back to, you know, when I was younger and I had one. And, you know, despite it being all new, it still reminds me a lot of the 1970 Trail 70 that I had, despite the one that I had. You know, it started off nice, but it gets hammered into the ground pretty hard when you're nine and ten years old and supervised on it and get to do whatever you want. So my old one was pretty trashed by the time I was done with it. And this next one uh, I intend to ride, so it's going to get dinged up and scratched, but it is done and it looks pretty for now. So I'm excited about that. I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but I think I told you guys there's a sort of this competition there's this guy on the internets. His name's Cameron Nimala, and he has a, a YouTube channel and does some other things. And for a couple of years, he has hosted a competition. Um, and the general concept is to take something that is pretty beat up and and transform it into something that's much nicer. And the uh, I think the competition is called Broke to Build. And this will be the third year of it. So there's Cameron Emila, who is sort of like overviewing the event, organizing it. Rocky Mountain is one of the sponsors and they have a panel of judges. And most of these judges are all vintage, classic motocross um, restorers. So they restore a lot of dirt bikes, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s kind of era dirt bikes. 2000s and so they're going to judge this and it's kind of an interesting competition so there's i think everyone submits their motorcycle you basically uh take some video of it before you start take some video of it in the middle 
and then some video when it's complete, you submit all of this. And uh, April 30th is the deadline. So you have to submit all of this video by April 30th. Then they select the top 32 builds. Those get put up for a public polling, which reduces it down to the top 16. And it's my understanding that from the 16 on, the judges determine, um, they're sort of like grouped together and the judges determine uh, which one wins ultimately until there's like a first, second and third place. Uh, so I figured I would uh, enter this competition. Um, I have this KX250 you guys are probably aware of, and I think that we've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's a 2001 KX250. It was, you know, pretty much a complete motorcycle, running, riding motorcycle, but it had had a lot of time on it. It was pretty beat down. Um, I disassembled this motorcycle about a year ago because I was sending some stuff off to get zinc plated. And so I just took a lot of the factory hardware from this motorcycle and had it zinc plated at the same time. So it's just sort of been sitting on a shelf in pieces, except all the factory hardware got plated. And now I figured it's probably the perfect bike for this competition because it's it's a motocross bike. And it seems like these judges, that's kind of their background. It's a 2001 KX250. And if you guys might remember, 2001 was the year that Ricky Carmichael won his first Premier Class Supercross Championship. And he did that on a 2001 KX250. And in that season, he won 13 consecutive races out of 15. 13 of those wins were consecutive. So it was a big year for Ricky Carmichael. And being a 2001 KX250, it just seemed like this would be a good bike to sort of make into a, not really a replica Carmichael KX250, but, you know, something along those lines. So I've started getting parts coming in for this bike. I got some replica graphics. I posted a picture up. Um, and I'll probably put them on our Facebook page. Um, I've started tracking down some of the harder to find parts. Like I got a new old stock Kickstarter because, um, the one that I have is just not repairable. So I was able to find a brand new in the package complete Kickstarter unit. I'm finding, and I don't know if this is just because of shipping problems and economy problems. Or if it's just because the age of this motorcycle, I'm having trouble finding a lot of parts that I'll need. Um, in fact, I was looking for an exhaust pipe for it for like a good couple months and I finally found one. And I'm hoping that it's like actually in stock because sometimes it's kind of hard to tell. They'll list something as stock, but it's actually on back order, like indefinite back order. Um, but I think that I found a pro circuit pipe for it. I'm building a new set of wheels for it. The engine's getting completely done. Um, and it's going to have a lot of Cerakoting. So the suspension forks are getting Cerakoted. The frames getting powder coated green. All of the hubs and brake calipers are getting Cerakoted. Most of the whole engine is going to be Cerakoted. Um, so it is going to turn from a absolute complete basket case of parts into, you know, a very nice, very nice dirt bike, I think, cool. is, is the plan. So every single part on it is getting, um, you know, rebuilt, refinished, reconditioned. I'm going to, on the head, I'll do some high compression work to it. Um, just modify a few things here and there. I don't want to do anything terribly crazy. One of the things that I don't like about old motorcycles is when people attempt to make them into something that rides like a new motorcycle. Mm. And I'm not really interested in that. I wanted to ride like a very good 2001 KX250, not like something new. I just don't see the point in making it try to ride like a 2022 bike. I wanted to keep that kind of original, semi-original style. Yeah. So I've just looked at a lot of, uh, you know, 2001 pictures from Carmichael. And I think at least aesthetically, I'll try to match some stuff within reason. I'm not going to buy a bunch of works parts for it or anything. Yeah. You know, I think generally 
it'll uh, it'll be pretty nice, especially compared to what it was. I mean, when I was taking it apart, there was no fluid in the front forks. The only <laughs> fluid that was in the rear shock was like, I mean, black. It was like like black, and it smelled bad. And there is probably a tenth the amount of fluid, and it just all of the suspension <laughs> linkage had been disintegrated to the part where like all the needle bearings were gone. Like there's just nothing left of the suspension, the linkage, or most other components. So I think just rebuilding it and like finishing each part along the way, it's it's going to turn out to be a pretty nice bike. So I'm really stoked with the graphics. The graphics turned out great. And they are um, pretty much identical replicas to the Chevy Trucks 2001 graphics. Um, you'll see I got that super fancy Factory Racing Boysen ignition mm-hmm. cover. Yep. I had to get that. Uh, mainly because the factory one's plastic. <laughs> I didn't want a plastic cover. The clutch cover has the sight glass in it for your oil level. And I'm going to machine and weld a plug in that and just have a little screw um, where I can take it out so I can check the level on the screw, but not have that um, little piece of plastic um, sight glass to um, break or pop out. So yeah, I'm building a set of wheels for it. Just parts are kind of slowly rolling in. I uh, still have to send the cylinder to get plated, but it's coming along. So that's my next project. It uh, isn't the project that I was going to start with, having finished the Blue Trail 70, but I think it'll be a good one for this competition. And it has to be done by April, so I'm just giving you, a move give, on give, it. Give you some motivation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, my goal is really to pretty much have it done. Mostly, I would say, like, 90% done by the end of January. Oh, wow. That's the goal. Cool. I think it'll be fun. And that's kind of the point is uh, restore a motorcycle, have fun. I don't know how well it'll do in the competition. I have a good chance because, you know, it is a motocross bike. The competition's open to any motorcycle. But the panel of judges seems to definitely be focused more on motocross history. So, and, uh, you know, it's turning from quite a dirty pile of parts into something that'll be much nicer. So I don't know. We'll see. Cool. Cool. Hopefully it has a shot. Where do you have all of your projects that you aren't working on? Do you you have enough room in your shop? Yeah, I do. Um, Because, I mean, you've got the GT750, you've got the air-cooled RD with the funky frame. RD350 in that custom frame. Right. You've got... Two RZs? I've got, yeah, I've got another RZ. You, you've got, what is it? You bought a uh, an RMZ 250 a while back? Yes, I do have that. And it's, um, I actually was just working on that one prior to this KX250. And um, it's a pretty nice bike, but they have the power valves in those motors. Or they're not a great design. And the power valve became loose to the point where it did like some significant wear damage to the cylinder. And I'm not sure that the cylinder is necessarily good. And also it would require some replacement power valve parts, which you can still get, but it was looking like it was going to be an easy thousand dollars to fix the top end on it. And I just, for what it is, I wasn't committed to that yet, so I sort of just moved that one to the side. Yeah, but I have my Vespa, I have the GT750, I have a Titan 500, um, another RZ350, I have the RD350 in that frame. What else? Another Trail 70, so yeah. I'm envious of the amount of storage space you have. Yeah, I'm definitely pushing the limits of it before it becomes a situation where I have to like really start moving stuff around a lot to make room for other things. But I think I'm at the limit right now. Well, I was looking on, I don't know if it was Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or something, but somebody had a GT72 GT750 
basket case, but with a good Missouri title mm-hmm. for 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ooh, it was, it would basically be, you'd be getting a frame engine cases and a title for $800. Yeah. So there's so many things I'd like to do, but I have four unfinished projects right now. Right. One of which is literally hanging from the rafters. So I'm like, yeah, okay. I got to stay focused. Yeah. Well, I've really been itching to finish a street bike project and not keep doing these off-road projects. And I really wanted to work on that RD350 and that really neat custom frame. So that was going to be my next project, but I need a little bit more fabrication space and time for that one. And so I'm going to just get this dirt bike done, finish it, get out of the way. And then, and then I really want to just do a motorcycle that is a road-going bike for my next project. Pete, your lineup of projects? <laughs> okay. As far as me, uh, yeah, I'm still continuing to work on the the Bride, the CVT-powered bike, and uh, continuing to make progress. I got a little discouraged because I... I got the intake and the exhaust fabricated and bolted up. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And I got, oh, like the throttle cable hooked up and uh, really felt like I was making some good progress. Oh, and I got the, uh, the rear suspension. I hogged a hole through a big central backbone on the frame. Actually, surprise and wonder... I did it so that it was all symmetrical and level and perpendicular. And I was like, oh, good. I didn't, I didn't half-ass that one. That, that's good. And I just have a big, basically a rod that goes through it that I tapped for the rear shocks to go on. So as of right now, you can get on it and bounce up and down and check the suspension. And I'm working on the front brake. So I was like, oh, this is going good. And then I decided I would make a list of the things that I still had to do and got really discouraged. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am at that 90% done, 90% to go stage. That it's just a bunch of stuff, little stuff, big stuff. So but as I was coming in the door, I checked the mailbox, my petcock for the Canium qualifier gas tank arrived today. And what's interesting is it's a reproduction Japanese two bolt petcock, just like fit a whole bunch of Suzuki's and Yamaha's in the seventies and eighties. So I was like, Oh, so it cost me all of, I think seven ninety nine, including shipping for it. So I'm just doing a little bit at a time when I can, but uh, I'm excited about it because I think it's actually going to be, Something that's going to make me giggle when I get all done. Uh, this morning before work, I put the heat shield on the exhaust. And I'm taking a Harley rear cylinder heat shield and trying to put it on this very oddly shaped exhaust pipe. And it goes on and it's perfectly effective. But there's a curve in the middle of the exhaust pipe. So this is straight. So it it actually, it goes on. It's solid. It's there. Everything works. I don't really think it looks terribly aesthetic. But that's the great thing about this bike is, you know what? If it really bugs me when I'm done, maybe I'll do something about it. Maybe I'll just go, yeah, that part's going to look wonky and keep moving along. So I am practicing the discipline of sticking with this one because a couple of parts that I wanted for the Boltaco popped up, but they weren't cheap. And I wasn't exactly sure if they were the ones I would exactly. And I was like, I'd have to. I was like, no, stick with what you have. Because I'd really like to sometime, maybe by the spring, be able to at least ride this around the yard. Maybe I don't have it licensed and legal for the street. But at least something that I can start up right around the yard and go, yep, I built something out of parts that is a functioning motorcycle. So I'm trying to stay focused on that goal along with buying Christmas presents and all the other things that you have to do this time of year, pay your property tax. And Yep. 
Yeah, I definitely had to slow down on buying motorcycle parts this month. Actually, I just today kind of went on a little spree. I bought a couple of different set of foot pegs. Since this doesn't have any foot controls, there's no shifter, and the rear brake is going to be up on the handlebars, I have a lot of freedom about how I can do the foot pegs. I just wanted foot pegs that I could drill some holes in the engine plate and mount without having to fabricate or weld anything. So a lot of ATVs are like, well, kind of like your CT70s like this, where it's a crossbar with two pegs that bolt in with four bolts underneath the engine. Right. That's the problem with buying stuff off of eBay is it looks like it's going to work, but you're never sure about the dimensions, mm-hmm. whether it's going to put things in the right spot or interfere with something else. So I bought two sets of foot pegs, one for a Honda ATC 125M, and I bought one for a first-year Kawasaki 203-wheeler that they came out with like an 81 or something, where the whole foot peg bracket and the foot pegs are all rubber mounted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I ordered that and then went out to go find the little rubber donuts and found out that they are long discontinued <laughs> and <laughs> impossible to find. And so the ones that are in there are a little grody and chewed up, but I'm kind of thinking they'll be under the engine. And as long as they're secure, I'll go with what I got. So, yeah. So that's what I've been up to and just cleaning and cleaning and cleaning my shop and trying to arrange stuff and trying to make space. It seems like anytime I do anything, like within 15 minutes, I have tools everywhere and I've got a bunch of little tiny metal chips stuck in the bottom of my shoes all over the floor, (laughs) all over the workbench. And it seems like I spend 20 minutes picking up, I do 20 minutes of work, and then I have like another 40 minutes of cleanup mm-hmm. to get things back for the next day. So, But having a small workshop forces you to stay organized and clean things up. So, mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to our topic for this month, which I alluded to last month, which is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. A while back, we did a thing on bucket list items, like bucket list trips or something that was like, oh, things people should do in a very general sense. I want to focus now on the three of us. What do we personally see ahead in our motorcycle journey through life, whether it's your riding, working on bikes, bikes you want to own, things you want to experience, places you want to go, roads you want to ride, things when you look forward, you go, yep, that's something I really want to do. Whether it's something you can definitely do or not, it's it's still a realistic goal for you. So I can think of a lot of things, I, I, but what do you guys, when I, when I ask you that question, what are the things that pop out into your head as I haven't done it, or maybe I have done it, I want to do it again? Yeah, I know one of the things that I've always dreamed of doing and think that I'll be able to do at some point is ride the Baja 1000 route with, you know, like a group ride and, and ride the, the course. Not actually during the competition. Not during the competition. No. <laughs> um, but they do do guided um, tours and take you through uh, the course, you know, and that's a, a, something that I've really wanted to do with a group of friends is just go ride the entire sections I think that that would be a lot of fun. Uh, a friend of mine used to do that. And his son also like races in the Baja. Um, but they've done group rides in the past. And um, one year they were down there and he had crashed and broke his femur. And, you know, they're in Mexico and he's got this broken femur. And got to the nearest hospital and, and it needed surgery. So they did surgery on it there in Mexico and they didn't have a femur rod long enough for his leg. 
So they ended up shortening his leg like two inches oh. and putting the femur rod that they had in it oh. and, and never told him, <laughs> never told him. So like the surgery went okay. And like, eventually he was, you know, healed enough to where he could be weight wearing. And it was like pretty clear that his hips were like way out of alignment. Like his hips were down on one side. And so finally he figured out like it became shorter by two inches on one side. So now he has to wear a shoe on one side that's two inches taller to keep his hips parallel. So (laughs) there is a time and a place for parts bin engineering. Yeah. That's not not, it. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that funny? So that happened during one of these. um, And this makes you think this is something I want to do. Yeah. Well, you just, (laughs) You have to be prepared for everything, including Bring your own femur rod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, but the uh, you know it's generally safe, but not to say that it's completely safe. Well, nothing with motorcycles right. is completely safe. That's right. I mean, even if you're going to hide in your basement and work on them, you're going to slice your hand at some point. You know. Yeah. So I do want to do that off-road Baja adventure motorcycling on the road you know i've never gone more than like probably 250 to 300 miles away from my house and i've never been more than like two days away at some point i want to do a big cross-country motorcycle trip you know something on a touring bike that i can do comfortably with a group of friends so that's sort of on my bucket list as well just something that's more substantive than the things that I've done in my past. So those are big ones. If you want to get excited about a cross-country trip, uh, there's a video. Billy Connolly, the Scottish comedian, Road Route 66, Mm -hmm. came out 10 years ago, maybe. You know, he'd lived in L.A. when he was doing Hollywood TV shows and stuff. But he's like, I always wanted to see America. So he rode as much of the original Route 66 as he could and kind of strung it all together by going on the interstate. It's really fascinating. You can watch it on streaming. I know you can get it on DVD still. You can probably pick it up used on eBay for next to nothing because it's 10 years old now. I think it's four one-hour episodes. And I talk my wife into watching it and she's like, you're really going to make me watch this for four hours. (laughs) A guy in a motorcycle. And and he's got one of those uh, I think it's a boom trike. It's one of those yeah. Volkswagen-powered three-wheelers. It's like a super long fork chopper, but it's three wheels with a Volkswagen engine in it. Right. She loved it so much that she gave a copy to uh, her uncle. She gave a copy to, I think, her brother-in-law. It's like she told everybody about how cool this was because <laughs> it's really not about the bike. It's about the ride. It's seeing the country and especially somebody who's not an American. Yeah. And this was done for British television. So this is a Scottish guy telling British people about what it's like to ride across the Midwest and Southwest of the United States. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great. And it will really inspire you and make you think, yeah, I I want to do that ride. So hmm. I might look for that. I'll tell you one one thing I really want to do is someday I want to get to Bonneville Speed Week. Oh, yeah. I I don't want to compete, but I want to go out and experience it. Right. There's there's a camaraderie that comes with being in the middle of nowhere with people, even if you don't know them. So, yeah, Speed Week is a really interesting experience. And you saying that reminds me that I had always had this idea to build a land speed bike, specifically something that would target um, Don Vesco's. You know, he still has a couple of 350cc speed records, um, you know, two-wheeled speed records. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that would, that would be able to break those, but it'd be fun to kind of build something and experience what it would be like to perhaps get close. I mean, I know how to build quite a lot of horsepower out of a standard bore and stroke 350. 
Um, and I think it'd be pretty fun to see how fast I could get a bike going. And so taking something down just to race, you know, even if I didn't come anywhere close, I think it would be quite an experience. And so I've always really thought about that. Uh, Pipeburn.com just did an article on our past guests, uh, Mark Atkinson's uh the BMW? No, no, no. The land speed record uh, RD400. Oh, right, 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 yeah. He's got like four different RDs featured on Pipeburn.com. Mm-hmm. He's done some very, very cool things with land speed record bikes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Two other destinations that I really want to get to. I would like to get to the Barber Museum. And I would like to get to the Sammy Miller Museum over in the UK. I've been to the British National Motorcycle Museum outside Birmingham, real close to the uh, National Exhibition Center. And it's a fantastic museum. Sammy Miller, probably one step up because he has so many one-of-a-kind old racers. You know, the AJS Porcupine and... uh, the old MV Agustas and uh, I can't think of all of them, but Alan Cathcart writes a lot of articles about bikes that he's been allowed to ride. And so I, those are some museums I'd like to get to. Yeah. I would like to do smack dab on two wheels. I've only, I've done it how many times, three, four times now, you know, my wife and I have done it on spiders, but we haven't done it on two wheels. I want to do smack dab someday. There are two patches that you can get. One of them's repeat, and the other one's 250 cc or less. Only one person has ever ridden it on a 250 cc or smaller bike, and that was a WR 250R, the street legal version of the water cooled Yamaha 250, mm-hmm. which to me just sounds like pain, unbelievably discomfortable. I mean, it's it's a it's a little skinny square brick of a seat and. <laughs> No wind protection and a 21-inch front wheel. And, and he did it with, you know, a sleeping bag and soft saddlebags on the back. And Yeah. My wife is not keen on that. She's like, yeah, you want to do 700 miles in 16 hours on a 250? Yeah, that just doesn't seem like you got a lot of margin there, you know. <laughs> so, but maybe, I don't know. What about roads you want to guy you guys want to ride? Is there any any either for the scenery or for the road itself or a racetrack that you want to ride on? Yeah, I want to ride on Laguna Seca, but I also yeah. want to do Highway One down California. Yeah, I haven't. Well, I haven't ridden. I've driven uh, both of those. Yeah. Yeah, there's better roads than Highway One. And I know Highway One. It's just like a lot of traffic, and you end up just going 25 miles an hour the whole time. Some some of the ones, and I'll I'll just rattle these off really quick because I happen to have a list of them prepared. The Wild Atlantic Way, which is the coast of Ireland, uh, the Atlantic Ocean Road, which is the west coast of uh, Norway. There is also the Trollstigen, which is the Trolls Ladder, or the Trolls Way in Norway, which is one of the roads in the world with the most switchbacks. I mean, mm-hmm. really tight hairpin turns. Uh, the Stelvio Pass is overrated, but I still want to ride it. In the summertime, it's just a parade of RVs, but I still want to see it just because watching the... Uh, like the Giro d'Italia bicycle race and stuff like that, that I just, I'd like to see it. Uh, a couple of outliers, the Great Ocean Road in Australia and Swartberg Pass in South Africa is an awful lot like the Trolls Ladder in Norway if you put it in a bunch of scrubland. Hmm. Obviously, I'm not realistically planning on writing all or even one of them, but if I got the chance, I'd love it. Yeah. 
my wife's best friend, they're just moving to Dublin uh, for a new work job. And so it'll be very likely that in the next year I'll be finding myself in Ireland and maybe I can also find a motorcycle to rent while I'm there. Well, that that ties in nicely to a place I want to go and a place I want to ride all the same. And Dublin is a good jumping off point for that if you go at the right time of year. And that's the Isle of Man TT. Yeah, I know. Oh, definitely. So that is a race I want to I want to go see. And the thing is, after uh, was it Mad Sunday? So right. like after everything's done, then you can go and you know, not that I want to go necessarily do that. But I know people who have done it and they said, you know, like done it on um scooters and stuff like that and it's like he's it's an absolute riot so maybe it would be something to do just to say you've done mad sunday or something like that but the isle of man tt is a race i want to see and it's a place i want to go because i actually want to ride um especially the mountain part of the course you know when when there's no one around because well especially after 44 teeth just did it recently yeah the isle of man is on my bucket list for many reasons beyond just the tt I mean, I yep. want to go to Douglas. I want to see the horse-drawn trams. I want to go see the uh, Laxey Wheel. It is a really cool place. I got in the habit, right when internet radio came out, when I was teaching, I would tune into Manx Radio over the summer or after school and actually listen to their programs pretty regularly and got very familiar with what the news stories were and and who their presenters were and everything and so i'm i'm a bit of a manxophile i guess you would be the term for many reasons beyond just motorcycling and i'd like to go there i think i'd like to go there when there's not about a million drunken brits yeah that's fair i would like to find yeah. when there's not the Grand Prix, not the TT, not the kart races, not the music festival, not all of those things. When it's like the off season, mm-hmm. I'd like to go have the island a little bit more to myself. The uh, the other two, as far as like destinations to go ride for me, would be um, New Zealand. And that has been one since, I don't know, since college when I got my first Edelweiss catalog. And they had, well, at that time, it was a three-week tour. I just looked as we were talking about it. Um, they only have like a two-week tour now, but still 14 days riding in New Zealand uh, on both islands, I think, would be just absolutely amazing because the, the, the photos even back then were like, okay, yep, got to do this. And that's before anyone had seen New Zealand from like, you know, Peter Jackson shooting all the Hobbit stuff. Um, the other one, which would require me to buy a, a bike to be able to do this, is there are there's still a lot of the original Pony Express trail that's still um, there and graded. And so you could ride that on, say, an ADV bike. And I think that would be a lot of fun to do is to, to chew up as much of that as you can. And I guess there's still a lot of the outposts that are still there with historic signs and stories and stuff like that. So I think that would be that would be something I'd like to do as well. Mm hmm. Speaking of New Zealand, I've talked to a lot of people who have said of all the places in the world to do a ride, you know, one of those organized group rides, New Zealand is the best. Mm. I happened to spend some time with our New Zealand distributor for my employer who comes up every couple of years. And he said a motorcycle is the way to see New Zealand Mm. because they have so many roads that aren't terribly wide and aren't terribly trafficked. That's the way to do it. So I, I would totally agree with both of those. Yeah. Um, motorcycle wise, I I've had a, well, it's always a bike that I've liked, but I have had a, again, a recent fascination with a, a specific Tuano and that's what's called the red lion edition uh, because it's got like gold wheels, gold frame. It's white with red. I don't know. It's just cool. It's like one of the last of the V twin ones. And they're like the one that I put the, the photo in the guy lives in, in LA, but he's moving to Seattle and he's trying to unload it before he gets there. Uh, and he only wants like 5,500 bucks for it. And I'm just like, Oh, it'd be such I'm, a, I have to say, cool I'm bike. not a, I'm haven't been a huge fan of, either the V4 or the V-twin Tuanos, that's a really striking motorcycle. That's mm-hmm. that's about the best-looking gl- Tuano I've seen. 
with the gold frame and the gold wheels really set it off. And and there it looks a lot more matte than it really is in 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 the real in, in the real world. But um, yeah, I think it's it's cool. And then the other bike I have to I I don't have to get I would say is but I want to get just to scratch the itch one last time is I want to get another RZ 500. Yeah. Had it, had to sell it. I want it just to say, okay, yep, this is exactly what I remember. And it's okay to move along at that point, but just to say that, yep, that's, that's exactly what I remembered. And to that point, the other one thing I need to do in life is motorcycle life is to go racing again. Even if it's, you know, back of the back of the grid club racer for a year, just to say that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go racing anymore after this, but I ended it because I was ready to stop, not because I was forced to mm-hmm. uh, economically, which is what happened last time. So, yeah. I just saw on one of the forums a guy celebrated his 70th year by building an, uh, a CB400F with a super hot rodded motor and took it out and I don't think he did the full season. I think he took it out and just rode it for one race, but it wasn't a track day. He actually wanted to race it yeah. and just said, before I, before I stop riding, I got to go out on the track one more time for myself. I learned in 1985 that as fast as I care to go and as fast as I can go are two different things. <laughs> I actually was okay as a racer. But I enjoyed it so much less than I thought. If I could go out by myself, I might enjoy a track day if I could have an empty track and I didn't have to worry about who I was going to mess up by having a stupid line through a corner. I might want to do that. I don't ever need to go out on a racetrack again with other people who are going to count on me to not do something boneheaded in front of them. <laughs> because that, that was my big anxiety was not how fast or slow I was going. How badly am I going to cause somebody else to, to buy it because I don't know what I'm doing on the track. Yeah. I had someone do that to me in front of me and I was like, okay, whatever. It was a, it was a kind of a scary moment for a second. And then I moved on and it was okay. But I, between multiple activities I do is, is I like the competition. So going out and doing a track day or going out and riding on my own would be a lot of fun, but I need that competition side of it. The red mist. Yeah. To, for it to be fulfilling, even if it's which, and which I do, I'd either get like a Suzuki SV650 or like a, a Ninja 400 slash Yamaha R3. One of those, you know, that series of bikes. So I'm not going to be going super fast, but it's fast enough to have fun and you're around a lot of other people where it's usually really competitive racing and everyone's out there to have fun. So, and it's club racing. So no one's, no one thinks they're out there to win a world championship. So, well, a few people might, but <laughs> they, they sort of take care of themselves real fast. As far as motorcycles, I, I have to say the new CF moto, the CLX 700 is about the first thing in a while that kind of made me went, Oh, yeah, because remember, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, I was looking for a bike that would have ABS, ride modes, and cruise control. And the list at the time was, you know, that wasn't a big, that was something naked, that wasn't a big touring bike, wasn't a super sports mm-hmm. bike. And the list I came up with was the Harley Lowrider, the Guzzi V85 TT, which newly introduced... And the Bonneville Bobber, which has cruise control standard for this year. And I was like, wow, those are, but those are all really expensive bikes, like easily way over into five figures. The CLX 700 meets all three of those criteria. Sounds like it's a pretty comfortable bike to ride. And supposedly they're aiming at a $69.95 price. Not bad. I can spend seven grand. I can't spend 14 grand. But I could probably swing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But right now, between having to put a new rear tire on the Spider, having to do the scheduled maintenance, which includes a valve adjustment, and it, there is like hours of labor just to strip all the crap off to get to the motor, I, we're talking like $1,500 to $2,000 worth of maintenance. So 
I'm like, yeah, I got to do that. And my wife, my wife is trying to talk me into simply trading it in on a new RT like hers, which I would like, but that then you're talking like $24,000. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I am not doing that. Nah. The, uh, the MT-09, I think, is about the only, let's call it, reasonably priced new motorcycle, I think, that could tempt me right now. The new one they just came out with? The, the, yeah, yeah that, yep, exactly. that's a yeah, really yeah, yeah. nice bike. And Whether whether it's as the MT-09 or uh, the XSR 900, especially in those Galois colors, yeah. Yeah, one of those two, you know. Seeing the two new ones, I would flip and I would get the XSR over the MT for the first time. Well, especially because the MT headlight is so hideous. But, well, you, you don't you have know. to look at it when you're riding it. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, that's the best thing about riding it. You don't have to look you don't have to <laughs> see what it looks like from the front. And I have kind of a itch. I think I need a scooter before I hang up my helmet. If if the bride is any good, it's going to be a twist and go scooter type. But A, it's probably going to be crap. B yeah, it's not the same as a scooter. There's a really nice paint scheme that they have on the 150 Vespa. Vespas are mm-hmm. terribly overpriced, but they hold their value. I, I, I was about I was about to say the best thing about a Vespa like a 300 is a two year old one is like three grand off the normal price, so it's like six grand or five grand. But the best thing about one of those is is that five years later you sell it for the same amount of money you bought it for. <laughs> like they depreciate and then they stop depreciating. Yeah, there's a appearance package for the 150 sprint that's called the racing 60s and it's red and gold stripes and gold wheels on a white body mm-hmm. Ooh, that could look good the local can-am dealership is also the local vespa dealership i was not even thinking about it i walked past one of those and i was like that's really nice oh yeah that looks really good that yeah. looks really good. One of the first, in fact, the first thing that got me into motorcycles was I saw Quadrophenia. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a Vespa scooter really bad and went down to Guido's Triangle Vespa, which was the local <laughs> Vespa. And <laughs> and that was back when they had the, you know, the old two-stroke rotary shift classic Vespas. Yep, like mine is. Ne- never did get one and got into motorcycles instead. But yeah, I... I think a Vespa would be very cool to have. And, you know, it can go on the back of an RV when I retire and we turn into old fogey people. I could still make use of it to, you know, go get milk at the campground. Absolutely. I'm just saying what AF1's racing's Vespa inventory looks like right now. One of these days I'll drag out my old Vespa. What would be really cool, they're terribly overpriced, but it's the 946, which is... Just a regular 150, but it's got a really cool solo seat and a rack behind it. And they they want like 10 grand for it or something like that. It's just silly. It, mechanically, it's just a 150 sprint, <laughs> but they look really cool. So a, a brand new 150 sprint racing 60s white. They're taking orders now. They don't have any in stock. 5749 It's $1,200 less than a CF Moto CLX 700. Mm-hmm. Although a friend of mine, I happened to mention that, and he was like, you're going to be supporting a totalitarian state that's trying to tear down America. I was like, do you shop at Walmart? Do you shop at Target? Do you have an iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, and I want to finish all my projects. Yeah, that'd be nice. I was looking the other day, and I have a bunch of things on my wish list on eBay. And an ATC 250R motor is really cool because it's a vertical cylinder, like it's not inclined. Mm-hmm. And it's got a really big, they kind of added on a counterbalancer. Mm-hmm. So it's got this big bulge out the front. I can imagine that looking a bit like an old 50s small British motor, if it had kind of more sculptural side covers on it. I was looking at it briefly thinking it could go into one of my frames and it can't because of this big bulge on the front. But it's right below a really cheap Benelli frame that I can get for like a hundred bucks. Ooh, an ATC 250R in a vintage cafe racer. 
oh, I should buy those. And I was like, oh. <laughs> One more project. No, no more buying anything for yeah. anything that you don't already have an investment in. So, yeah. Okay. That's where I'm at. We'll see y'all next month. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for doing this with me every month. And uh, we'll be back again for January. All right. So long. That's so long. Everyone have a great New Year.